Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of On Set with Errol Koenig. I'm Errol Koenig. Guest starring on this episode is actress, comedian, and writer Jamie Denbo. She has worked on a ton of TV shows and films, including Orange is the New Black, Children's Hospital, Ghostbusters, and The Heat. On top of all of that, she co-hosts the Rana and Beverly podcast with Jessica Chaffin. So here is my interview with Jamie Denbo. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. It's an honor. Yeah. Uh, so introduce yourself. Tell me what you do. Um, well, my name is Jamie Denbo. I am a uh, – I'm hot part of the Hollywood elite. I would mm-hmm. say. Um, now, I um, I'm, I would say in a lot of ways I'm a career guest star in mm-hmm. Hollywood. I do a, lo- a, r- a lot of random acting. I also am a writer. Um, I have to clarify by saying I do I do make a living writing, but nothing I've – very few things I've ever written have ever been produced, which is mm-hmm. a really interesting, weird way to be in the industry. Uh, and I do host a podcast called the Rana and Beverly Podcast on the Earwolf Network. Um but that's also just, you know, I sort of pieced together a very uh, fun and weird and uh, inconsistent lifestyle in Hollywood. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so you've worked on, you know, like you said, you've mm-hmm. worked guest starred on a whole bunch of shows, yep. with, you know, a bunch of movies with Paul Feig, yep. stuff like that. Are there any experiences from those that like really stand out? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I feel very lucky in a lot of ways that for a long time, I didn't feel very lucky. I felt like, oh, I need to get that one job that makes my my career more consistent. Like mm-hmm. the job is a series regular or the big movie break that leads to constant work and that kind of thing. But oddly enough, I'm in in recent years, I think as I get older, I'm really satisfied with having had this mm-hmm. scattershot career and working with so many different people in so many different places. And I have really amazing experiences and I have really not so amazing experiences. And they're all so different that it's kind of fun. So I would say some of the best experiences, I, I do love the opportunities to work with Paul Feig. That um, happened because he directed a pilot that I wrote with uh, my comedy, sometimes comedy partner, Jessica Chaffin on mm-hmm. Ronna and Beverly. He directed a pilot almost 10 years ago now for Showtime, and he's always kept us in mind for projects that he's done since then. Yeah. That pilot never went anywhere. But, you know, that's the other interesting thing. You you live long enough in Hollywood, and you see that some of the connections you made 10 years ago lead to little jobs 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to work. My favorite, I think, experience with him, oh, sorry, my son is in the studio, I must confess, because he's having a sick day. Um, I um, got to work on The Heat, which was my mm-hmm. favorite yeah. experience. Be- not just because it was like the, I think, the biggest role I had in the Paul Feig project, but it was so fun to be so skanky in Boston. And, yeah. you know, we got to improvise so much of that, almost all of it, really. I mean, there were maybe one line, was maybe one line on the page for me and Jessica both, but we got to be part of Melissa, Melissa McCarthy's big skanky family. And it was a pleasure. It was also a pleasure to work in my hometown, mm-hmm. which as a kid growing up was, I mean, the thought of that was just far-fetched and ridiculous. There was never going to be an opportunity to work on a movie in Boston. And so funny because the industry has grown so much that there's so much shooting in Boston now. So that was that was fun for me. Yeah. So you you, you, you did grow up in Boston, in Swampscott. I did. Yeah. Uh, and you then uh, went, went to B, uh, BU. I did. Uh, and you started your Im- uh, improv. I did. And that stuff there. So what from that has kind of, you know, from growing up in Boston, how has that really influenced Oh what my you've gosh. Done. It's honestly it has influenced more than I ever would have imagined. You mm-hmm. know, it's so funny cuz recently, you know, Meryl Streep made that 
speech um, at the Golden Globes about yeah. about what is Hollywood. And what really resonated with me was her clarifying, like, what is Hollywood? It's a bunch of people from other places. And it, it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone I know in Hollywood, most people have come from somewhere else to tell their stories about where they're from. And and it, it certainly has been true for me. You know, a lot of the origi- original material that I generate uh, comes from my sensibility that I learned growing up in a small town north of Boston, which is its own mm-hmm. character and its own specifics and its own personality. And, you know, the only thing that's very difficult when you grow up in Boston is that every movie in Boston, the accents will drive you crazy yeah. set in Boston. I mean, even Manchester by the Sea, which was great. I still winced when Kyle Chandler opened his mouth. I was like, please mm-hmm. stop. Because Casey obviously is from there. Yeah. But – I, it's it's one of the pet peeves of growing up in, in Boston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I grew up with a family from Boston. I visited yep. my grandparents a whole bunch because they're also yep. up there. Yep. Um, but like, I don't notice it probably as much as you do. But when I was watching Arrival, yep. uh, Forrest Whitaker. Oh my God! He decided to do a Boston accent, and I <laughs> don't know why. <laughs> Well, sometimes he did, and then sometimes it was something else. It was yeah. very, very difficult to watch. That was my one flaw with Arrival. I love yeah. Arrival. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it's um, it's a burden to to mm-hmm. be to know the Boston accent that well for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so like I, like I mentioned, you started uh, with improv comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did you get from uh, improv to acting? You know, and um, you know, it's. Mom. Oh, so sorry. Hey, 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 kid, kid, strange kid who's invisible and not really here. Be quiet. Um, uh, you know, I, improv for me has been the basis of everything. Um, I think people all sort of enter the business from different angles and different points of view and different mm-hmm. passions and different things turn them on to the industry. Um Improv itself was something that I, even as a, a kid, taking like kiddie, kiddie musical theater groups and classes and whatever they had for us on the North Shore of Boston, mm-hmm. I, my favorite part of all of those processes processes was always the improv rehearsing part of it, you know, doing mm-hmm. warm-ups and icebreakers and things like that. And it was always something that I loved. And, and I always question whether or not I loved it because – it was funny and silly or because it was um, at the time or because it was something you didn't have to memorize anything for and mm-hmm. I was just lazy. I don't know. But something about it connected with me. Um, and then when I went to college, when I got became college, I was really directionless in terms of academics and mm-hmm. other things. I mean, I'm not encouraging that at all. Um, you should find your focus when you as early as you can. But for me, because I didn't, the one thing that I really came out of my college experience with was my experience in the improv college improv group. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have that. I know Amy Poehler had that at Boston College when she did My Mother's Fleabag. I know a lot of people's roots go back to their college improv. The way that college acapella, you know, is something that people really are passionate about. Yeah. Thank you, Pitch Perfect, for pointing that out. You know, stuff like that. Um, it was very formative for me, and it was all I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. when I graduated college, I knew I wanted a career that involved improv comedy. I just didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, and turns out, and this is something I actually used to talk about in, when I was teaching improv um, for many years at UCB and other places, um, and corporate improv, is that I used to talk about I, I, there are places to to improvise for a living that – 
um, are not always a stepping stone to mm-hmm. acting work. Um, but I worked on the Renaissance Festival circuit. I worked in the parks at Disney World. Um, I worked – and they're all very funny, by the way. I recognize mm-hmm. that they're also hilarious jobs. Um, but they were all places where I collected tools of improv. Okay. Um, and by the time I was sort of done floating around, you know, doing improv as a day job in these odd little places, whether it was theme park work or what have you, I wound up uh, studying in New York. And that was sort of the part of the UCB revolution in New York in the late 90s mm-hmm. um, to date myself. But that became such a passion at that time. You know, it was a smaller group. It was before the, the, the before they had their own theater. Um, it was really special time. Um and there were so many of us that were just brought together by this thing, this magic. Mm-hmm. And, and it was long-form improv. It was slightly more complicated than sort of the whose line is it anyway stuff that sort yeah. of broke us all in. It was more meaningful. You could see it as a path more clearly to how it helps you as a writer and helps you as sure, an sure. actor, sustained characters and things that were really just sort of touched on as fun things for so long were suddenly more meaningful. Um and then eventually, you know, I think a lot of us just sort of, we were sought out more. Improvisers were starting to become something that was an asset in the acting industry. People wanted mm-hmm. you for all kinds of things. They wanted you to make up your dialogue a little bit more, thanks to yeah. things like Whose Line Is It, uh, not Whose Line, Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah, yeah, yeah. was the really like one of the tent poles. And then uh, there was a lot in the 90s and aughts. You were, I think, um, not born. Um, there was... Um, there was a lot of prank shows and a lot of cheap programming, things that where they wanted people, you know, quick on their feet, yeah. and they wanted that kind of style. And suddenly, you know, what Second City was always a step to Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, but there were more places to do improv uh, for a living, and that sort of naturally bled into acting mm-hmm. uh, opportunities. So it's a long answer to a short question. Yeah. Well, uh, so like you mentioned, you do so much improv, but I, I assume with all your guests. Uh, stars. There are some shows where you have to go straight off of oh, the script. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the differences when you're working on those type of movies versus straight improv? Well, I'm definitely not as good an actor as I am an improviser. That's for sure. Um, you know, uh, and part of that is because of my own lack of maybe studying the craft of acting, which I think has its value, and mm-hmm. I think um, I think it's I think it's always a good thing. I think you've got to have a balance in your acting, quote-unquote, acting education. And I think improv is so important. I think improv is often sidelined, or it has been in the past, as sort of like the silly, you know, again, silly icebreaker exercise to loosen people up. Mm-hmm. The truth is, is that so much of acting class philosophy is acting is reacting. And if acting is reacting, what's more honest reaction than an improvised situation? So it's yeah. about combining those skills. Um but for me, you know, I'm like I said, I'm I'm an okay actor. Mm-hmm. I think um I think uh I think it's always a little bit harder for me to work off directly off a script. I think, you know, my husband is actually um a little bit more of a studied actor. He um mm-hmm. he started late. Um or he'll tell you that he started late. My husband uh, for those of you who don't know is John Ross Bowie. He's um He's on a show. I'm going to plug it anyway because why not? But he's on a show called Speechless. He plays Minnie Driver's husband. And mm-hmm. he actually has had more of more acting to do in that than he's ever had the opportunity to do. And it's very interesting because he's really risen to it. And I think part of that is because he's he's done a lot of theater in the past couple of years. It's something that he's mm-hmm. put his mind to. It seems to come along. I'm very impressed with him. For me, it would be very challenging. Um, 
So I don't know. All I can say specifically, I don't know what the challenges are of scripted material, but I do find it challenging. Okay. So uh, you mentioned your, your husband, John Ross uh, Bowie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just in my little bit of research sure. before, sure. Um, it, you, you, you also do a lot of stuff at UCB mm -hmm. uh, with both him and also uh, your partner, uh -huh. Jessica. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is it like working with, you know, people that you're so close to? Well, I think this is— you know, you you make your, particularly in comedy and creative partnerships and collaborations, I think you meet people um, when you're coming up through those ranks mm -hmm. and you form those bonds, the creative bonds first. And then if you're lucky, you get a husband out of it or mm -hmm. a really good friend. And I think it's really kind of great because you set the tone for your working relationship kind of first and then... Either you move on to personal relationships that grow out of that. Again, if you're lucky, a very nice, successful marriage, I'm happy to report I have. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the results of that is sitting in the corner playing with my phone. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so we actually, you know, it's always fun for us, you know, for me and John specifically, because we don't actually, you know, um, just because we're old and tired, we don't improvise as much as I think we'd like to anymore. Mm -hmm. And often we're sort of the only other one that's available to take a slot at UCB if they need a, a show. And it's always really fun to go back to that because that was the first way we met. Um, mm -hmm. And so nobody's going to get offended by any sort of, you know, any sort of moves we make on stage or what have you. It's all very, it's all very copacetic. Okay. And then, um, you know, I, I mean, I yeah, I would say that. And same with Jessica. You know, we met working together. So, you know, the fact that we're able to travel together and, and have a really nice relationship on the road when we do run on Beverly shows in different cities or what have you is sort of, again, as a result of us meeting and collab. I think it's great when you're your age, Errol, and like mm -hmm. you can post sort of post-college, I would think, if not in college, you meet the people that you want to get creative with. Yeah. And you should find them and you should you should nurture those relationships and those are those are your people. You know, I'm still John and I are still very friendly and pretty close with a lot of the people that we met mm -hmm. at UCB at that time. Everybody still employs each other. Every those are the people who who you want to work with. Yeah. You know? Yeah, okay. Uh so let's get to uh probably the thing that you are most known for, uh Ronna and Beverly. Yes, Ronna and Beverly. Uh so where did that idea come from? Oh well, it sort of goes back to one of your first questions. It's, you know, it's basically my mother and all of her friends and all the Yentas mm -hmm. from Yentas from uh, Swampscott and Marblehead, Massachusetts, yeah. who, you know, we all grew up with. And, you know, it it started, again, Jessica and I sort of, we were we knew each other, you know, she, we performed together many times. We were definitely friends. And that orig that idea came about, Again, a little over a decade ago, we were asked to host a Jewish comedy night on either Christmas Day or right around Christmas mm -hmm. at UCB. And we were like, what are we going to do? I don't know. I'm sorry. You be some version of your mom and I'll be some version of my mom and we'll just get up there and be, you know, pains in the ass from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And honestly, we got up. We never took the costumes off. So it was very organic. And what's funny is what I've also learned from that is that it's okay to – very much use what you know as even if it feels too easy for your comedy material because mm -hmm. it, it came so easily I felt we were cheating at okay. first. <laughs> and yeah. then and then I realized, oh no, that's what people are connecting themselves to. Okay. So it was fun. 
All right. So let's wrap it up. <laughs> more questions. Um, uh, so as as an actress, um, as an improviser, what are a couple films or TV shows or, or things that people, that aspiring actors should watch uh, and what makes them so great that they can take from it? Well, obviously they should watch Tootsie because it's um, – in, I mean – I mean, I you know, it's funny. It's like I have my favorite films, and then I have my films that I, I think can teach you about about stuff. Um, and, you know, I mean, they're all such personal choices. You know, for me, growing up as a Jewish girl, uh, middle class, you know, for me, Goldie Hawn was – was everything. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, she's that I understand. You know, that seems like I could be maybe a comedic actress someday. Like that made sense to me. She was just a jappy, funny, yeah. pretty. I was like, I want to be that. Um so Private Benjamin is like important to me. It it's something that I would if you want to understand that uh mentality, like that's sort of always been with me through a lot of my work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think certain certain comedy movies are just classics that everyone should should watch. Um, Groundhog Day is perfect. Um, Galaxy Quest is perfect. Um, someone once told me, this was really funny, speaking mm-hmm. of Goldie Hawn, that House Sitter was a great improv movie because it's the yes and movie. And I was like, I don't know what they mean, but I'm going to watch it again. And this mm. was a few years ago. And I watched it again. I was like, oh, it is the yes and movie. Because <laughs> Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn, it's very underrated. I think it's a great movie. They're just yes anding each other's lies constantly. And it's very, very, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. And it's, it works. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I th- there's so much now. I mean, that's the thing is like television's so good right now. There's so much great stuff out there. Like you don't have to reach very far past your Netflix recommendations mm-hmm. to find really great examples of comedy and improv that's been used in comedy. So, I mean, it's sort of like there's something for everyone's taste. I mean, I'm happy to talk about all my personal faves all day, but there's great stuff out there. There's great stuff. I'm planning on showing my my son Shaun of the Dead after mm-hmm. this because uh, he likes zombies and he needs to see some quality zombies. Yeah, well, I love that movie then. It's classic. Yeah. Okay, so last question. Yeah. What advice do you have for a uh, young filmmaker or young actress, young improviser? Write your own material. It is very painful, as everyone has at this point probably seen La La Land, to mm-hmm. wait for someone to make a decision about you. It is never not personal. It is always something you have to talk yourself out of feeling is not your fault. It is Mm -hmm. painful. It is mentally abusive, and it sucks. It is part of the industry, and every day is a new day. It's another day of sun and all that. But but if you don't write – and that is kind of the message, oddly enough, in La La Land as well, ultimately. Mm -hmm. But if you don't create your own – material then you're you just you don't have you you it diminishes your value in yourself and that's so important because if you're not mentally fit mm-hmm. to wait by the phone and I don't know anyone who is without the going crazy then why do this it's it's torture you know I mean my <clears throat> one of my best friends is a clinical psychologist um, from childhood mm-hmm. um you know, she 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 would just laugh when I would tell her about my life. She would just be like, "I this is what are you doing? Like this is complete 
nonsense. It's like going for a job interview every single day or multiple job interviews mm-hmm. and not getting the job. And it's just, it sucks. That's a sucky position to put yourself in as an actor. But obviously it's part of, the, I'm not saying that it's not part of the job, but in order to shake it off, you have to take some of the ownership of your talent. And okay. the way to do that is just to write your own stuff. No, whether you use it ever or not, it doesn't matter. You've got to do something creative every day. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. Do you have anything uh, you want to plug? Any new Rona and Beverly? Um, I do. Um, we are supposedly performing on the evening of the Women's March in Washington. I don't know when this is coming out, but um, if it comes out before the 21st of January, we will be at the 930 Club in D.C. Okay. Um, that night. And then we will be uh, at UCB in Los Angeles on February 6th um, doing a live podcast. And then <clears throat> our show is um, on Earwolf. And uh, I'm pretty sure Earwolf will say it's their favorite and best show. But I'd guess that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if they don't say that in all their publicity, that's sort of what they tell me I mean, on the it is slide. The best, Thank but. you, Errol. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, and Speechless on ABC at 8.30 on Wednesday is is my husband's show, and it's pretty brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's my honor. That was my interview with Jamie Dembo. Thanks again to Jamie, and a big thanks to Walter for joining me on my podcast. I also wanted to thank the nice people from Earwolf for allowing us to record this podcast in their studios. If you were wondering why this podcast sounds so much better than all the others, well, now you know. If you are interested in seeing Jamie in D.C. at the Laugh, Dance, Then Go to Work show on January 21st at the 930 Club, unfortunately tickets are sold out. However, you still have a shot. There is an auction for two VIP tickets and all the proceeds benefit Planned Parenthood. I will include a link in the description so you can check it out. Make sure you get your bid in because the auction is closing soon. And finally, if you like the podcast, give us a good rating and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. And don't forget to like our Facebook page to stay updated. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on set.